Bible. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this time to come together as your church. Um, I know in this room that there are people who are um, brokenhearted, um, who are hurting, um, who are struggling, God. And I pray this morning, um, as we draw near to you through your word, that you would also draw near to us. Um, I thank you that your word is is pure. It's It's finer than... Refine silver seven times over, God. And we pray that you would use it as a soothing um, balm in our lives, that it would encourage us, that it would strengthen us, that it would bind together our hurting hearts, so that we may better follow you and worship you as we go through our lives this week. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, uh, good morning. First of all, um, it's great to open God's word with you again this morning. Um, we've been going through Colossians together um, in our sermon series called Enough. And I don't know about you, but I've been so encouraged by this book, by just reexamining this book and all the ways it elevates just the supremacy of Christ and how he is greater than all and ought to be the number one thing in our lives. And today, Paul is going to continue this theme. Um, but he especially emphasizes the practical outworkings of this theology. However, you know, as I was looking at this passage, I was like, well, this is pretty straightforward. Like, Paul just tells you what to do. You know, like, what, like, what more do I have to say? But what's really cool about Paul is that even his simple little applications contain this massive amount of theology. And so I'll read our passage this morning, which, like I said, is in Colossians, of course, starting in uh, Colossians 3.12. So grab a Bible, grab your phone, whatever you use to access God's word, and we'll read this together. So Colossians 3.12 says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The very word of God. So before we dive into this passage here, I have a quick story for you all. So uh, when I was in college, I used to work alongside the admissions office at our school as a student ambassador, which essentially, it sounds really fancy, but it really wasn't. Uh, essentially, we were to serve as representatives for the school. So as you can imagine, we did a lot of uh, campus tours during visit days and like when families would come independently for tours, we would lead those tours. Um, we would represent the school at our uh, denominations conventions, 
and we would help at trustee banquets, which if you want a funny story about a trustee banquet, I told one to Ann Taylor this morning, so you'll have to ask her about that. Um, a portion of this preparation to become a student ambassador included a certain level of professional development, right? Because if we're going to be representing the college, the college wants to make sure, you know, we've at least got it a little bit together, right? So you can imagine some of those things like, one of them is the title of this sermon, right? Dress for success, which I mean, like, you know, is a no-brainer, right? Like, you're representing the school, don't look like a slob on visit days, right? You know, like, pretty straightforward. However, the advice that hit me more, and I will, and I will probably never forget this advice, actually, was remember who you are and who you represent. And that was something that the uh, head of admissions, Dr. Cardi, shout out, um, would say to us consistently. And what was so cool is he said, hey guys, like this applies to the college, right? Like, remember, you're a representative of this school and you're representing the school. But he said, I went to a Christian school. So even he said even deeper, this applies to your Christian life. Remember who you are, a follower of, of Christ, and remember who you represent, Christ. And so today, we're going to walk through three steps to representing Christ well. Remember who you are, dress for success, and remember who you represent. And so before we do that, though, let's pray one more time. God, we thank you. Open our hearts. Let everything I say magnify you. Let everything I say honor you. And let us be ready to hear from you and encounter you this morning as we examine your perfect infallible and errant word it's in your name we pray amen so first we have uh step one remember who you are so let me remind you of verse 12 just a tiny little bit in verse 12 it says as god's chosen ones holy and beloved all right now look that's only like five words or something right i could like camp out on just these five words but i won't all right, I'll spare you. But I do want to point out that these three characteristics, holy, chosen, and beloved, are key aspects of our identity in Christ, of who we are. And these things God uses all throughout Scripture to describe his people. For example, in the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to, I'll, let me just give you all a heads up before I do that. I'm going to be jumping all over the Bible today, all right? So, like, y'all are either going to have to flip real fast or just jot down the reference and read them in your leisure, all right? So I'll do my best to make sure I say the references clearly, all right? So, so in Deuteronomy 7, uh, 6 through 7, it says, For you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord has his heart set on you, or in other words, Lord loves you, and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples. And that's in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 7. And God, right in that passage, says that he has chosen his people in the Old Testament Israel. They are, he has declared them to be holy, and that he loves them. He set his heart upon them. Another example would be from the New Testament, Romans 1-7, where this is just a small, simple thing, but Paul addresses his letter to Romans and says, To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints or holy ones. 
right? So this is used all throughout Scripture. And so I want to just remind you all this morning that as followers of Christ, this also applies to you, all right? You are chosen by God. God has chosen you and set you apart for a purpose. God did not just, you know, God is intentional with this. He has chosen you to fulfill a certain aspect of his mission in expanding his kingdom, which ought to fill us with this level of, like, confidence, right? Like, there's something powerful in being chosen. Like, maybe you guys weren't like this, but, like, when I was in middle school, I definitely was, like, one of the people last picked for the kickball team. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not a good feeling, Right? But the flip side of that is if you're first picked for the team, you feel pretty good about yourself. Right? So knowing that God has chosen you as part of his team is pretty awesome. Right? Secondly, God calls us holy. And once again, if you're like me, you might be thinking, "Mm, I don't know if I've lived up to that holy standard. Right? But we have to remember we're not holy because of anything we've done. We're holy because of what Christ has done. We're holy through Christ. And look, if Paul calls the church in Corinthians saints, I think we're doing all right to be called saints too. All right? right. Third, we are beloved, which is... Is amazing to know that God not only chose you, right, has not just declared you holy, but God loves you. You're his beloved. It's not just like a, like, oh, fine, I guess I have to pick, pick them on my team, right? It's not like you were the second to the last picked for the kickball team, right? God loves you. God has called you beloved. And what's really cool about this is all three of these terms refer to Jesus as well. In 1 Peter 2, 4 and 6, Peter writes, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, namely Jesus, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus was chosen by God to fulfill the purposes that God had called him to. Jesus was holy, right? We That's kind of basic tenets of Christian faith, right? Like, Jesus never sinned, right? Perfect life. And First Peter 2 also confirms this. He did not commit sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And finally, Jesus was called beloved, the Father's beloved Son. A lot of you guys know John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Yes. And a voice comes from heaven at uh, Jesus's baptism in which God says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So how cool is it that Paul uses three words that are used to describe Jesus to describe us as followers of Jesus as well? So if our identity is is firmly rooted in Christ, if we remember who we are, it gives us a degree of confidence. Now, I'm not saying confidence like, I think you're all that in a bag of chips, right? Because all of these things are just like, we are these things through Christ. But it gives us a confidence that allows us to respond in a better way to different things. For example, if someone offends me, 
right? It's easier to respond in a Christ-like way when I know that my status with Christ is not affected by their opinion. Or if someone lets me down, I can find hope in the one who has declared me beloved and respond in a compassionate, gracious way toward the one who let me down. Or when I fail myself, I can remember that due to my identity in Christ, by remembering who I am, I can remember I'm declared holy and that there's now no more condemnation for I'm in Christ Jesus. Right? You see how this works? So remembering our identity roots us and allows us to respond to outside challenges or our own internal challenges well. And brothers and sisters, when our confidence is in Christ and not in ourselves, it becomes easier to represent Christ and not ourselves to others. Okay, that was kind of convoluted. That was kind of like a very Pauline way. So let me say it again. All right, so if when our confidence is in Christ and not in ourselves, it becomes easier to represent Christ to others and not ourselves. Because we don't want to represent ourselves to others. We want to represent Christ. So step two to representing Christ well. Remember who we are was step one, right? Step number two is the title of the sermon. Dress for success. Now you might be thinking, like, look, I'm not all about dressing nice every day. Like, like you might know, I didn't even wear a tie, right? So rest assured, I'm not saying you have to, you know, dress perfect every day, right? The reason this is sermon is entitled Dress for Success is because of some of the language that Paul uses. So let me read verses 13 and 15 again, 13 and 14 again. He says, put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So you may have noticed there's a pattern of verbs in this chapter, all right? Some of them were last week over what uh, Pastor Dave preached, and some of them are this week. So in verse 5, all right, Paul says, put to death, right? Verse 8, he says, put away these things, and there's a list of not great things, right? Verse 9, he says, put off the old self, and verse 10, he says, put on the new self. In verses 12 and 14, Paul challenge, what we just read, Paul challenges us to put on a list of five things and to put on love. So these, especially the verbs put on and put off, are typically used to describe taking off or putting on clothing. All right? Thus the idea of dress for success. So this imagery Paul is painting here is this idea of taking off old clothes, right? Namely that old self in verse 9, which Pastor Dave talked a lot about last week. Putting off the old self with all of those not super great things and putting on the new clothes, the new self in verse 10. So starting in verse 12, which we're looking at, is where we're learning, okay, so this is the new self that Paul is talking about. And this idea of like abstract concepts being put on as clothing isn't unique here, right? Like 
We, like in Job, Job says he clothed himself in righteousness and his just decisions were like a robe and a turban. Job says that in Job 29. Um, or it, the woman described in Proverbs 31 has strength and honor as her clothing. So this isn't that unusual. And those of you that have ever taught Sunday school class to kids have probably at least once taught about the armor of God. Some, something we put on, right? Abstract concepts, salvation, righteousness, sort of, you know, all these abstract concepts are things that are put on. So this isn't, you know, brand new territory. So each of these articles of clothing, so to speak, has so much that could be said about them, right? Like, we could do, like, this in-depth word study and talk all day long about each individual one of these things. However, I'm going to, for the sake of brevity, right, I'm going to kind of give an overview of them so that we get out of here before dinner time. Notice I didn't promise lunch. I said dinner time, all right? So, I encourage you guys in your small groups today or throughout the week, however you do that, to dive deeper into not only what these are, but also the implications they have for our Christian lives. So, there are kind of five articles we see here, which, interestingly enough, the other two lists, Pastor Dave went over last week, of not-so-great things, there are five in those also. Right? So we see Paul is parallel, parallelizing? I might have just made that up word. He's using this as a parallel, I'll say that. There's five not-so-great things, five lists of other not-so-great things, and now there is five really great things. Plus one, which I'll get to in a sec. So, First thing he says, compassionate hearts. All right, compassionate hearts. Now, uh, this is pretty self-explanatory, but fun fact that I'm sure Pastor Dave has mentioned before is that back in the New Testament and, and Old Testament period, usually the bowels were actually where people thought the emotions were. So literally, if you're like reading this in your Bible and you see, or like I think the KJV keeps it as bowels and says uh, heart. Uh, Bowels of mercy. Okay, that's what it's talking about. So don't get like freaked out if you're reading the KJV and that's what it says. All right. Because they thought that that was where the emotions were. Right. We think the emotions are in the heart now. Right. They thought it was in your bowels. A little different, but that's why our Bibles are translated as hearts because we that doesn't scare us quite as much. Right. Yeah. So hearts of compassion. Right. Those of you know what compassion is. Right. Seeing the need, feeling the need and meeting the need. Right? Compassion is where you see someone with a need. Like, hey, that person needs water. Right? Feeling the need. Wow, it really stinks to not have water when you're thirsty. Meeting the need. Maybe I should get them some water. Okay? That's a pretty basic, simple example. Right? But that's kind of the concept. You see a need. You feel the need with them. Like, wow, I remember when I needed that. And then you, then you, maybe you can't meet the need. Maybe it's a need only Jesus can meet. Right? But maybe you help alleviate the need a little bit, right? And an example of this in Jesus is in Mark 6.34. It says, Jesus had compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was the king of compassion. Like a lot of, he's the king of a lot of things, right? But that's one of the things Jesus was king of was compassion. He saw people and felt their pain, saw their pain, and did something to help it. In Mark, actually, Jesus, right after it says this, Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? Kindness. Once again, kind of self-explanatory. But in the context of Colossians, hearing Paul say that y'all need to be kind, y'all need to be nice, right? 
is especially challenging because, as we talked about last week, the, Coloss- the church at Colossae had people of all different types, right? And Paul was challenging them to love people of all different kinds. So that whether you are talking to a Gentile and you are a Jew, you need to be kind. Whether you are a Jew and you are talking to someone they would have called a barbarian, right? You need to be kind. So in the context of Colossians, the challenge to be kind is a lot harder because not only are you supposed to be kind to, you know, people like you, you're supposed to be kind to people who are not like you, which is significantly more difficult sometimes. And there's this humility, right, which there's this great hymn about Jesus being humble in Philippians 2, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, right? Paul says, put... I'm just going to summarize. Put, your, put the needs of others before yourselves. And then he says, have the same attitude of Christ Jesus, who lowered himself from the right hand of heaven. And he goes on to say that Jesus came as a form of a servant, lowly, and then dies and is exalted. And every tongue will confess and knee will bow, right? That whole thing. Which had me thinking this week, if Jesus can lower himself from the right hand of God to take the form of humanity and then lower himself to die the most appalling, shameful form of death to serve others, I think that I can handle serving those around us who are a little different than us. You know what I'm saying? Like, the massive amount of humility that Jesus showed challenges me to say, Look at this humility Jesus showed. I can, I can handle being humble. I can do this, right? If Jesus can do this, big thing, I can at least handle it in a small way. Finally, or second to last, meekness, right? Jesus is the epitome of meekness, which sometimes in our culture, I feel like especially American culture, we kind of look at meekness as a bad thing sometimes. We think meekness is synonymous with weakness, and that's not the case, right? Being gentle, being meek, is not synonymous with being weak. Weak means that you don't have the strength, power, or authority over someone, right? But meekness means that you have all of those things over someone, power, authority, strength, but you are choosing to use that authority in a way that's for the good of those under your authority. So being meek doesn't mean you're weak. You might have all the power authority in the world, but you're choosing to use that for the benefit of those who are um, under your authority or under your strength, which we see in Jesus. Jesus has all power, all authority, all everything, but he consistently chose to set that aside temporarily to serve those he cared about, right? And finally, patience, which as a parent, I always need a reminder to be patient. (laughs) Those of you who are parents know what I'm talking about. Patience. And this is not just simple patience like putting up with difficult people. That's part of it. But it's a lot of times used of God in the Old Testament by having patience with his people Israel. The students, the students and I are actually going through 1 Samuel together. And um, at the end, we, we do DBS together. And normally we, uh, we say, what, is this, uh, what does this teach us about people? And there's one theme that we say basically every single week from 1 Samuel, what does this teach us about people? And we say people are... We don't, well, we say a different word for unintelligent, but we say people are unintelligent, right? And we say that every single week, but every single week, I challenge the students to think of, 
Okay, but sometimes we don't make the greatest decisions either when it comes to following God, right? But we see all throughout the Old Testament, God continually has patience with his people. No matter how many times they make unwise decisions, we'll say, he continues to have patience with them and bear with them. All right, which brings us to our next kind of thing. Paul doesn't stop here. So these characteristics inform how we interact with others, but he also gives us two ways to behave with these clothes on in the form of bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Now, bearing with one another sounds a little bit just like you're just putting up with people, which actually typically when this word is used in the New Testament, it, that's what it means. Like, you're just putting up with people, which is kind of comical, right? But that's the first step is you just need to, like, sometimes you just need to bear with people even if they bother you. You know, like, that's just the first step. But what's cool is Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, oh, you just need to, like, put up with people. All right, that's the first step. But, like, let's have a little bit higher expectations than just, like, putting up with people, okay? Like, he says we also need to forgive each other, which this word forgive kind of goes more than just forgive. You could also say it means showing grace to each other, which means that not only are you forgiving each other, but when somebody wrongs you, you don't just forgive them. You show grace to them. You move on. You don't hold it against them. You show, you are, you show grace to them. And notice that it says that you don't do this begrudgingly, right? Paul challenges us, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Which, whoo, talk about a tall order, right? <laughs> right? Like, think of all the things God has forgiven us for, and in that same way, that's how Paul asks us to forgive other people. Wow. And something I've learned is people don't expect us to be perfect. Well, they shouldn't. Right, And something I've learned as a parent is that I'm going to mess up. Right, I'm not always going to be a perfect communicator with my kids. Because sometimes kids are frustrating. You know what I'm saying? Kids know how to push all the buttons, especially your own kids. Okay, But here's the thing, is what I've learned is that what is more impactful than me being the perfect parent all the time is me failing and then apologizing. Right? And, or when Naomi isn't perfect, or when Leo isn't perfect, as is sometimes the case, it's not, it's, it's more powerful for me not to expect them to be perfect, but when they come to me and apologize, forgiving them, showing grace to them, right? And it's, feels so good when you are the one apologizing and you hear someone say, I forgive you. Now, the first part is really hard, right, to apologize, right? And sometimes it's hard to forgive. But one of the best ways to lavish that forgiveness on people, to show grace on people, is to just remember the forgiveness and grace that God has lavished on us. And, but wait, there's one more. And this one is above all, is the language he uses. And he says, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Which, nerdy tangent real quick. Uh, so in, in Hebrew, a lot of times there's this pattern of five, like three plus one. So there will be a list of something, 
right? And then he'll be, but wait, there's one more. And it's not because the writer is confused, right? It's because he's emphasizing that last thing. So he's like, here's five things. Oh, wait, there's one more. And by the way, this one is the most important, which is love. And this language here is used above all is almost this idea of an outer piece of clothing that holds all the rest of the clothing together, which is love. And if y'all have been in church for a while, we could go on this long tangent about the different kinds of love, right? So it's probably of no surprise to you that this love that's here is agape love, selfless love, right? Enduring love, love that endures no matter what. And Naomi has a Jesus storybook Bible that we read out of, and I'll, and it's, it's very well loved in our house. I think we've lost the front and back cover at this point. Um, but um, the way that she describes the love, the author describes the love of Christ, agape love, I think is so poignant. She always describes it as the love of Jesus, which is never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Right? It's just such a good way to describe that agape Love, And that's the love that we are challenged to have that holds everything together. So you may have noticed at this point, all of these articles of clothing are worn in fullness by Jesus. So that when Paul is challenging us to put on this new self, right, to put on these new clothes, Paul is in fact calling us to put on Jesus, We dress for success when we dress like Jesus. And that's what Paul is calling us to do. And last, our last step for the day, we've remembered who we are. We've uh, dressed for success. Now we have to remember who we represent. So let me read this passage. It says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and spiritual psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. So first he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So, in other words, we, uh, no matter how we're different in the church, our identity in Christ goes above all of that. And Paul is challenging us to make our decisions based on what most furthers the peace of the body. Like that word, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it can also have this idea of judge or like umpire, right? So let the peace of Christ be what is your primary decision maker in what you do. And um, in Paul's day, that required a lot of prejudices like the ones mentioned in our passage last week. Whether it's, you know, barbarians or Scythians or Gentiles, whatever that is, Paul said, it doesn't matter. We are called to one body in Christ, no matter what differences used to separate us. And so whether us today, that's worship styles, right, preaching preferences, Bible study preferences, curriculum preferences, how you think outreach should be done best, or even, you, you know, you've heard of the classic example of things that divide churches, carpet color, right? 
everyone has opinions. It's not a challenge to check your opinions at the door. But if our opinion starts to cause dissent or not peace in the local church, that's when we better check them at the door until we've put them in the right place of priority. Paul also challenges us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And so you might be like, well, what in the world does that mean? Well, he tells us. He says, teaching and admonishing one another, right? Both the positive and the negative. Hey, here's what you should do, brother and sister in Christ. Here's maybe what you shouldn't do, brother and sister in Christ. And some of us excel at one or the other. Some of us maybe are better at saying, hey, do this. Some of us are maybe better at saying, hey, don't do this. All right, but... Teaching and admonishing are both a part of letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And he also says singing, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Singing is one of the key aspects Paul chooses to list here as letting the word of Christ dwell richly. We cannot underemphasize the importance of worship and song in learning the truths of God. And one of the things that I've been so encouraged by is that both of my kids love to sing, love to sing. And there's this group that I love, and they sing through all of the psalms. They've written a modern song for every single one of the psalms. And I just decided, I was like, you know, these are kind of peaceful songs. I might start singing to them these songs, you know, in the evening. And so I sang Naomi, my daughter, the song that is to Psalm 23. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, Shalom. Yeah. So I started singing that to her. And then Leo, I started singing the song based on Psalm 150, right? Praise the Lord. Just praise the Lord. And, And the verse, my favorite verse of that, praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, right? And what's been so beautiful to me is that these simple songs have taken root in them. They know like almost all the words and it's not verbatim right what the bible exactly says but being able to like hear my two-year-old son sing let everything that let every how do they say it let everything that has breath praise the lord that doesn't make a dad's heart happy or hearing naomi sing the chorus of the psalm 23 i will fear not i will fear not i will fear not right so we cannot underemphasize the importance of singing. And honestly, I am so encouraged by this congregation in singing. Because I think that sometimes, especially men in the church, feel like we don't need to sing for whatever reason. But y'all, I tell you what, I am so encouraged, especially by the men of this congregation in y'all singing, like it's stinking awesome, right? I am so encouraged by y'all, the way that you all sing and make a joyful noise to the Lord. It's awesome, right? And we can't underemphasize that as that takes a key part in us learning the word of God and saying the word of God. And finally, just in case we were had any uh, semblance of lacking any clarity, Paul says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. Right? He's like, I am making sure you realize, I, w- I mean everything. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything. How? 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. Word and deed, every way we interact with the world around us, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Represent Jesus to the world around us. And worship team, you can come on up. What is the key to this? Look what's present in every single verse in this last section. Verse 15, and be thankful. Verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What is the key to this? Thankfulness. Thankfulness. Our gratitude to Jesus for what he has done, is doing, and will do grounds us as we live in covenant community with one another. Now, at this point, I would normally give, like, some level of application. However, there's so much um, application in this passage just on its own, right? I mean, look at these lists. You know, there's something for everyone to challenge that challenges us to grow in more Christ-likeness, whether that's humility, meekness, love. Maybe you need to have the courage to um, lovingly, emphasis on lovingly, admonish, warn a brother or sister about a path they're going down. Or maybe there's someone you need to seek peace with, right? Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. Like, there's so many ways this passage can be applied. But in all of these things that Paul challenges us to do, let's dress for success, right? Namely, dress like Jesus. Let's remember who we are and remember who we represent our King Jesus. Now, we mentioned thankfulness is a key to this. Well, this morning we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is a lot of things, right? It's remembrance. It's, it's, it's a powerful demonstration of what God has done for us. But it is also an act of thankfulness, an act of gratitude. And so this morning, we're going to take communion. If, if you are a follower of Christ, we encourage you to join with us in that. If you are not, that's all right. Just stay in your seat and um, as others come forward. All right. Um, so there's tables on each side. So um, let's just take this um, communion with gratitude and we'll start with the people in the back and come on forward. So I'm going to pray real quick and then y'all can come up. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word that challenges us to represent you well. Help us to keep our identity rooted in you. Help us to put on all of these things that you so beautifully reflected in your son Jesus. And in all things can we glorify you. We thank you for, um, we thank you for this being made possible through your son Jesus. Because all of these things that we've talked about this morning, we cannot do on our own. So we thank you that your son Jesus made it possible to join with you once more and represent a loving God, a loving Savior to a watching world. It's in your name we pray. Amen.